0: I want to say a special welcome to those of you who are joining us online today as well and who do so so faithfully if you're listening by podcast later in the week or through our Mandarin Translation Ministry, uh, a special welcome to you. It's great to be together this morning. Um, if you ever get to visit the Middle East and you want to go and visit the site that's believed where Jesus was born, uh, there's a church there now called the Church of the Nativity. Uh, you'll notice that the entrance to the church Uh, The door's a little small, fair enough. I mean, I'm thinking of like Regan and Aaron and Tola and Adebola. There's no way you're getting in there. I mean, without some serious bending down. And this is kind of uh, the unique feature of this church. It requires you uh, to really, really stoop down in order to enter into this church. Now, originally it was meant as a military means of protection. The idea being that if someone came on a horseback, a warrior, there was no way they were getting down off their high horse and entering into that door kind of by stooping down. And so they kept this door really small. In fact, you can see they've bricked it in so that it continues to get smaller Uh, because they knew a warrior to get off their horse made them very vulnerable. And there was no way a person was going to make themselves vulnerable and enter in through this door. Later, after times of warriors had passed, they kept the door like this, small. And they kept it small specifically with the idea that in order to enter into this sacred space, it's important for all of us to humble ourselves, to be willing to bend down, to to stoop down, in order to enter into this sacred place. And they eventually renamed the door, the door of humility. We're going to talk this morning about humility as we continue in our series called The Cross-Shaped Life, where as we start to focus on the person of Jesus Christ as he moves towards the week of Easter and focus specifically on the events leading up to the death of Jesus on a Roman cross. As you read through the Gospels, you'll notice that the Gospel writers really slow down the closer Jesus gets to the cross, giving us great detail. Uh, And we get to see up close and personal and focus in on Jesus, his actions, his attitudes, the way he spoke to people, the unique things that he did the closer he got to the cross. And we see in that something about a way of life that Jesus is calling us to as well. That there's something about how Jesus died that shapes how you and I ought to live. And we've been calling this the cross-shaped life. And today as we zero on in Jesus' journey, I want to read for you two accounts uh, where Jesus is actually on trial. Where Jesus is on trial first with the religious uh, group, a religious court called the Sanhedrin, and then secondly when Jesus is on trial before the governor, the local politicians. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 26. You can follow along if you like. It's on page... Uh, 1545, if you're using the Bible in the seats around you, or you can look it up electronically as well. So I'll read you first the account of Jesus on trial before the Sanhedrin, and then jump right over to Matthew 27, where he's on trial before the local government. The chief priests, or think about the chief pastors, the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward and declared, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days, which, of course, Jesus did, in fact, say. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent let's turn to the next chapter over matthew chapter 27 reading just at verse 11 here jesus is now on trial before the local government the the local governor pilate meanwhile jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him are you the king of the jews yes it is as you say jesus replied when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders jesus gave no answer When Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony they're bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. So here is Jesus on trial. In the face of accusations, he remains silent. And what screams out to us from these two accounts is that while Jesus was completely innocent, he did not defend himself. Well, there's all kinds of things Jesus could have said in both settings. He didn't say absolutely anything. He was completely silent. Now, the point of this passage is not if you get taken to court, you should not defend yourself or speak up for yourself. Not at all. There's something really powerful going on here. Jesus knows both trials are a show. They're a setup and he sees right through them. He knows that the high priest is trying to manipulate him into incriminating himself and Jesus is not going to play along. He knows that both are offering very serious charges to him and his life is literally in their hands, but he says nothing. And maybe in your mind or you can remember the passage from Isaiah uh, where he talks, written 800 years previously that reads, he was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep is silent before the shears." He did not open his mouth. And there's a certain majesty to Jesus' silence in both of these situations. And it's not because that he was silent, it's why he was silent. What it was that he was wanting to accomplish in both of those circumstances. Paul helps us in in Philippians chapter 2 kind of capture what we might call um, his call on the church in Philippi to live the cross-shaped life. Let me read for you just um, chapter 2 verses 3 to 8. Paul kind of challenging the church of what their lifestyle ought to look like says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for only your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. And now he goes in and quotes a, an ancient hymn. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death On a cross. One of the marks of the cross shaped life is humility. Jesus is expressed in Jesus' silence before his accusers, expressed in this hymn that Paul just quoted, that it was a mark of Jesus' life and that it ought to be a mark of our lives as his followers as well. Now, in order to understand how controversial Jesus silence and humility was it's important to remember that one of the prized virtues at this time was not humility but the opposite something called philotimia or love of honor the need to be seen as superior this was kind of the dominant kind of understanding of the day that a good person if they were worthy of honor would let you know it so if you've got better marks than your sibling in math, you let them know. If you make more money than a good friend of yours, you would be sure to let them know that your salary is better than theirs. If you have a nicer car, a better home, a greater standard of living, then you're going to let other people know with the hopes that when they discover how good you are, they will honor you. This was what a good person did in the time of Jesus. Philo Timia, the the self, self, self-honour. And in this context, Jesus comes and he dies on a Roman cross. You can imagine if you go to work tomorrow and you start bragging about your weekend and how much better yours was than everybody else's and how much nicer your car is than everybody else's and so on and so forth, people are not going to take you seriously. They're going to consider you, and rightfully so, a fool because things have changed. In this time, self honor was the highest good, humility was the lowest. If you were humble, there was something wrong with you. And in our day today, it's completely changed. Humility is seen in our culture today, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, as a higher good than bragging about yourself in hopes that other people will honor you. John Dixon wrote a book called Humilitas, kind of capturing how is it that this has happened because historians have studied this over time how is it that this massive change in thinking has taken place and in their summary these secular historians said that it's traced back to the death of jesus on a roman cross dixon says that the death of jesus started a humility revolution a humility revolution his life was marked with humility and as more and more people started to follow him, it created a revolution of people whose lives also took on humility as well. But humility is not just about being quiet or not wanting to make a fuss or being polite, good Canadians. It's so much greater than that. Humility is holding your power in service to others. It's holding your power in service to others. This is what Jesus did before the Sanhedrin, what he did before Pilate, and what he did on a Roman cross. He was leveraging his power for us. He was leveraging his power for us. Humility is a knowing exactly what strengths you have, what gifts you have, all of these things, what power you might have, what influence you have, and then taking those things and using them to bless somebody else not to raise your own credibility. To go back to the image that we started with, being humble is being willing to get off your horse, even if you have a really nice horse, so that you can serve somebody else, to stoop down and lower yourself for the benefit of others. And so Jesus is silent before his accusers because he was on a mission And his mission was not to impress the people that he was standing before. It was to offer forgiveness and redemption for all of us. And so one of the marks of the cross-shaped life is humility. It was one of the words that was used to describe Jesus, and it should be one of the words used to describe you and I as his followers as well so let me just take a few minutes and unpack maybe practically what this might look like in our lives and i'm not going to go into a whole lot of depth but hopefully it will get you thinking about your own relationship with humility first for us as a church humility must be our posture as we engage the world in mission humility must be our posture as we reach out to show the love of jesus christ to our neighbors. It must be our posture. It must be the mark of our hearts and our minds, the way we see ourselves and the way we see the people that we are serving. It must come from a place of humility. Humbling ourselves in obedience to God. Humbling ourselves in obedience to God for the sake of our neighbor, for the sake of the person that lives on our street that we work with that we would go anywhere and do just about anything if God asked us to do it. In, obedi- in humility, we will be obedient to God. It was the spirit of the early church. Um, I, there's all kinds of things I want to say about this, but we don't have time. We'll deal with it later. Um, for the last three years, almost three years to the day, the church moved home and the church largely moved online which meant for most of us we sat and watched church that was what church was church was something you sat down and it was something you watched other people do and that was the only option we had for that season now as things change it's time for us to be the church again and that means we have to get up and we have to go we must embrace our call as the sent people of god to our neighbors humbly showing them the love of christ And I think about the power of this in the Easter season and the opportunity that each of us have to engage conversations, extend invitations, look out for people and be praying for them, asking God, how might I be sent into my own neighborhood? Second, as Christians who are in relationship with other people, let me make a really profound statement. Are you ready for this? You'll want to write this down. Being in a relationship with someone who's willing to get off their high horse is so much more joyful than being in a relationship with somebody who's proud. Isn't that true? (laughs) You didn't need to write that down. You know that. We're called to be humble people in the relationships that we have within our family, within our work situations, and our friendship circles. And as Christians, we must learn to adopt this humble posture in our hearts and in our minds. Being humble means sa- being able to say, I'm sorry, it was all my fault. In fact, let's just practice that this morning. You two at home online, you can do this. Maybe somebody sitting beside you that you need to say this to. Um, but let's say this together. Repeat after me I'm sorry, it's all my fault. <sighs> you didn't even die. It's amazing. None of you broke into spontaneous heaps of tears. The humble person can accept responsibility. A humble person does not care who gets credit in the work that we do, whether it's around the house, whether it's in our workplace, whether it's with our friends. C.S. Lewis wrote this wonderful little book called The Screwtape Letters. It's a fictitious conversation that takes place between an older demon and a younger demon. And the older demon is teaching the younger demon how to trick up, to tempt, and to distract this young Christian life. And so the young demon has kind of found himself in a difficult situation. The Christian that he's trying to distract from becoming more godly is starting to become humble. And so he writes to his demon mentor, asking him what to do. And the demon mentor writes back this. He says, God wants to transform the thinking of this young Christian to such a degree that he could build the most beautiful cathedral in the world and know it was the best, And take joy in having built it, but would have the same amount of joy if it had been built by somebody else. This is the humble spirit, the same amount of joy. As we talk about humility and we talk about pride, we also remember that pride creates in us the desire to compare our lives and our circumstances with other people. And when we get stuck in the comparison trap, we cannot embrace humility if we're worrying about how we appear, whether we are appearing strong or successful or like we've got it all together financially, or our family is the perfect little family, or other people are getting better acclimatized in this city than we are getting better marks in school, it's such a narrow, constricting way to live. And humility calls us to be free of that. Now earlier we talked about Humility doesn't mean thinking less of ourselves, it doesn't mean putting ourselves down, it means knowing exactly who we are and what we have so that we can leverage it for the benefit and blessings of others. We sang that wonderful song, the third song of the set today, about who we are in Christ, that we are beloved, that our, hands are written into the, our names are written into the very hands of Christ. And as Christ followers, one of the things that we constantly need to remember is our identity in Christ That God loves us, that He's forgiven us. He's given us His Holy Spirit living inside of us. He's given us a family of faith to walk with. He allows us to have the Spirit's power in us so that we will not be tempted and so that we can face the challenges that we need to face. We have all of this going for us already. Meaning, I'm not going to worry about who gets the credit for something because I've got my needs met. I'm not going to be too worried about somebody who's doing better in life than me because I've already been looked after. My focus is going to be elsewhere. How can I use what I have been given to bless someone else? When you realize that your life is in the hands of the one who would go to the Roman cross for you, we can be free to serve others. Finally, and I won't say too much more about this, but as disciples, humility means we're always learning and growing. Always. We never get to a place in our life where we say, I'm good, I figured it all out, I know all the answers, isn't this great? I've dealt with all of my problems, isn't that great? There's never a state where we say to ourselves that we can stop growing. Disciple literally means apprentice, student, learner, that we are all walking with Jesus, learning from him how it is to, to carry the, our cross in the world today. There's an author that I quite enjoy reading, and he talks about having multiple conversion experiences. And what he means by that is he says, I remember the day when I realized I am broken and I am sinful, and for all the ways I've tried to remedy that, I can't. And he said, when I heard the good news that Jesus has offered a way for me to be forgiven, put back together, and called his child, my heart screamed, yes, And he became a person of faith and began the journey as a disciple. But then he said, so many times throughout my life, I've had conversion experiences of almost the same weight and value where I realized something so profound and amazing that radically changed my life as a follower of Jesus. I discovered God's grace greater than I ever knew. And when I discovered that, it was like I was being born all over again. He talked about discovering his gifts and the things that he was good at. And when he was able to use those to be a blessing to other people, It changed his life forever, again and again and again. His point was this. He's always a student, always learning, and always growing. It's the way of humility. So the cross-shaped life for you and I, it's about humility. And we can only discover this humility when we ourselves are willing to get off of our horse, (laughs) to lower ourselves and accept from Jesus what only he can give to us. If you do not see the need for Jesus in your life, you will never be able to understand humility. That God in his gracious generosity offered a sacrifice so great for you and I that we could be redeemed and have a brand new start. And when we discover that God's grace and mercy is so profound for us, We're on the path to being humble people. And it will require again and again and again moments in our lives where we realize, you know what? I need to get off my horse. (laughs) You know what? I'm getting to think a little too much of myself. I'm finding that this or that task is below me. And in those moments, we hear the call of Jesus to walk in the humble way. Let me pray for us. Lord, as we focus in and just watch you as you move towards the cross, we are humbled that the one who was perfect and holy, who had never sinned, would walk all the way to the cross, not complaining as he went, but for the joy set before him, would endure the cross in order to make a way for all of us today whose lives are broken and sinful and challenged and difficult, who are in such need of God's mercy. So Lord, today we come to you with open hands, just saying without shame that we need the humble king to come and to lead us. God, can we even begin to imagine the difference in our community if we as your people would enter in to this lifestyle of humility and the difference it would make as we seek to share the good news of Christ. May it be so.